Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special What If spoiler podcast. You may have already heard Team Empire, including the glorious return of the Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra, talk through our thoughts on the first season of the Disney Plus animated series in which anything can happen within the multiverse. But now it is time to hear from two of the show's key creators, the show's head writer, A.C. Bradley, and director, Brian Andrews. I caught up with them both last week on Zoom, and we talked about a great many things, including their plans for the show's overall arc, some of our favourite individual moments, the fact that the show is home to the final performance of Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, and much, much more. Oh, and AC Bradley's cat makes several cameo appearances. But I had to start with something that was very much on my mind. Tony Stark and the show's apparent campaign to kill him horribly in every episode in which he appeared. Here we go then, me talking to AC Bradley and Brian Andrews. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined in this What If spoiler special by the show's head writer and director AC Bradley and Brian Andrews. How are you both? Hello. Good morning. Hello. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Excellent. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you are, <laughs> whatever part <laughs> of the multiverse you're in. I always like to start these things with the big question that's in everybody's lips. And with what if it has to be, what do you guys have against Tony Stark? <laughs> I love Tony Stark. Seeing Iron Man for the first time back in my 20s, I'm pretty sure I saw it with a hangover at the uh, Arclight in Hollywood. And <laughs> um, it was the first, it was one of the first times a movie had been able to combine the superhero storytelling with such great character work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really a character story. And then there just happens to be all this great action around it. Mm-hmm. And I came out of that theater going, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to write. How the hell do I get in that room? <laughs> and it took me about t- over 10 years to get there. But I was so happy to be on What If. And the first time I got to write Interior Avengers Tower, I mean, you write that and then you get up and you go get a glass of water because it's a little much. <laughs> and so we love Tony Stark. I personally love Tony Stark as a person with daddy issues. Yeah. And <laughs> we had a great episode that was featuring Tony that sadly got pushed to season two. Yeah. And to be honest, because that was always our focal point, and that's the story of Tony we really wanted to tell, aside from the Killmonger episode, mm-hmm. it it was never intentional. It's just the way it ended up playing because of yeah. COVID production issues. It's just, it's just you know, every time Tony appears this season, apart from that one brief <laughs> glimpse in the last episode, you guys kill him. You kill him, <laughs> and, and usually horribly <laughs> as well. I mean... Poor guy, what's he done? <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's story, just we swear. It's yeah, it's somehow it just turned out that way. It wasn't meant to be to to be that. You know, when we had the, the original thirty ideas to give to Kevin, there was other episodes where Tony might pop up or be a part of, etc. But the ones that just got chosen, you know, um, had a little bit of those, that ancillary effect. And you realize when they're all bumped up against each other, you're like, Oh my goodness, this is happening. But as Ashley stated, it's like the edge would have been, it would have felt much differently if we, if we were able to have that one episode in where we wanted it, it was strategically placed to feel like you get plenty of Tony and uh, you know, it takes the edge off the rest, but unfortunately because of COVID and issues, it had to move. And that, 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 
upset the equilibrium a little bit. So yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> but enough. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at season two, we can expect storylines where Tony is tying his shoelaces and he trips and falls into traffic, or he <laughs> jokes on a peanut, or <laughs> as you, as you yeah, continue exactly. your war against Tony Stark. Um, listen, you know, <laughs> you guys do whatever works. Whatever works. Um, I have to say that you know Mick Wingert um, does an incredible. Robert Downey Jr. impression. Yeah. And the, the, his, the, the use of him, the use of Lake Bell as Natasha, for example, is really interesting. So your storytelling choices, for example, were never dictated by knowing upfront whether you could get the original actor. Correct. We, yeah. We were writing these scripts long before we were able to know who we, who could come back and who couldn't come back. Because obviously one of the big factors of who could come back and couldn't was the pandemic. And so if scheduling didn't work, if just life didn't work out that they could come back, that was totally fine. And by that point, a lot of most of the scripts were written. <laughs> yeah. So the actors who were able to do it were amazing and lovely. And we were so grateful for them. And we're also grateful for Mick and Josh Keaton and Lake Bell for stepping in and really making the show as amazing as it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great because like some comments, you know, I th- I thought saw one and 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 they didn't realize that that you know skinny Steve Rogers and Iron Man and Natasha weren't weren't the actors. It's like because they they just weren't paying attention to the names on the credits. They were just like I'm just watching the show, and they didn't realize until after that was the case, and so they were blown away. So that, that's that's pretty high praise. If if some 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 members of the audience were were fooled to that degree, um, that's awesome. How hard was it for you guys for, to construct this season in such a way that each episode works as a standalone episode, but you're also laying the foundations for the for the overall arc the overall story which only really i think became clear i mean i only really cottoned on towards the end like say well obviously obviously episode nine i figured it out by, by everything sure. was connected but yeah. uh but planting those seeds so if you go back and you watch all the episodes you can see little hints and little bits and pieces that will that 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 that, that show that it's interconnected the beauty of animation was and the watcher being more of a narrator in the early episodes was that I was able to tweak that dialogue as much as needed to kind of tip our hand to episodes nine and 10 when needed. Originally episode one started with him going, she's my favorite, but then we realized it might be too confusing. And then he would launch into the whole story because the idea was that we're seeing these in order, but these are almost all happening at the same time for the watcher. Like he's just scouring the universe in this blink of an eye and looking for his team, looking for first he needed one hero and he found Peggy Carter and he realized that no, Star he would eat Star Lord. And that like the, like Fury says, it's like it's really about a team. Mm-hmm. And so then he p- pulls together all these different characters. While writing the series, we didn't we knew that they were gonna all meet up at the end. We didn't know which characters were going to team up per se, but we knew like Star Lord T'Challa, Peggy Carter. We just didn't know how, <clears throat> sorry, how all the characters were going to interconnect. So that was kind of the fun and the challenge of episodes nine and 10 was how do we make sure that we give a nod to every episode that preceded it? Um, I think the way we were able to pull into in zombies was actually quite fun and a little bit more clever. Uh, and I was like super happy because that way <laughs> it kept the team small and not 10,000 people. Yeah. 
And can you talk about about that team? How you decided who the who the guardians of the multiverse were? Well, I mean, I think Ashley said it's like we had certain stars from early on. Like we just knew, it, of course, Captain Carter, Starla, T'Challa for sure. And then once we got the lay of the land of some of the other episodes, you know, it was pretty pretty easy. It's like you know, it's like of course we got to have Thor, you know, because he's hilarious and we loved everything that Chris was doing with that that version of the character. You got to see more of him. And I think I forget exactly. Nisi can probably speak to this, but you know, knowing exactly how the events were going to finally tie up at the end, and why did he pick everyone specifically? It's like Killmonger served a very integral role to that, and I love how the audiences respond to that because they they see like, what the heck? Why are you picking him? He's a villain. And when you see why at the end, and the lines were strange at the end, he's just like, "Wow, dude, you knew." And he's just like, "Yeah, you know, it's kind of my job." It really, it really comes. So it's there's a point where we didn't know, and and we find those things, and it's very exciting in the room when 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 someone's able to throw something out, and you're like, "Ah!" When that puzzle piece can solve these dang problems that were like lingering forever, you know, it's 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 really great <laughs> when everything comes together. By the end of it, you're supposed to realize that the Watcher wasn't so much forming a team as building his own mousetrap. Like he knew the way the events would unfold if he put the right pieces together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of like it was difficult. It was a bit difficult to put together, but the most rewarding part was to be able to see like Strange Supreme and Captain Carter interacting, to mm-hmm. see Killmonger and Star Lord T'Challa interact for a moment, and how like those multi-universe variants would relate to each other. Yeah, especially yeah. given how Killmonger had treated his own T'Challa. Exactly. And, and we had some more moments in there that kind of addressed a little bit of that stuff. But for time, um, we had to cut a few of them. And then also just the way they interacted in lieu of, of Chadwick's passing. There, there was some banter that they had that we felt that didn't quite, it just, it just didn't sit the same way. And we really didn't do that for much of anything in regards. Everything kind of worked the way it was supposed to work. But that was like, there was only one that was like, oh, in hindsight, yeah, we don't, we want them to have that exchange. Um, it just doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. So there was a couple of that stuff that we had to. And in a way, did that even, even what happens in episode six, when Killmugger does take out T'Challa, did, did Chadwick's passing give you pause about even showing that, even going there? Yes. There was, yeah, th- there was a bit of pause for a moment just because we were like, oh my goodness. But then I was sitting on it for a while. And, you know, I think, you know, should, I, hold on, Brian, I'm going to cut you off, but we should pause that. Go for we it. We already had the animatic locked when Chadwick passed. We weren't yeah. like, this is, he, this it's, was long we're in the, it was at the animation house. Sorry, Brian. So make yeah, no, it's true. This it, it was like, it was like done. It's like the animation, you know, the, the show was being, was happening. We were getting mm-hmm. scenes back animation. So we're like way down the way. And the idea of like losing that episode seemed like what it would be a lot. And um, I remember Brad and I were talking about it a little bit and, and, and I had mentioned something, you know, I, I was of the mind that's like, well, no, because when this comes out, it's going to be quite right now it's raw because it just happened. But a year from now, we're going to feel differently. We're going to want to see as much of them as we can. And I think Kevin was in the same mind because he eventually then told us that, you know, Kevin was just like, you know, Chadwick was fully aware of these episodes. He understood these stories and he, he wanted these to be out. So we're going to do it, you know? So it's, it's, it's fine. It's just, it, it does hit differently when you, when you watch it, but then 
there's such that the beautiful ending where he meets, you know, T'Challa in the ancestral plane and, and, and T'Challa has these very, um, you know, uh, choice words for him, you know, these very wise, wise words. It's just so great. And then we also knew that like in episode six, right, there's that moment where they're in the things like, you know, in my culture, death is not the end. It's like, we had no idea, but that comes across so differently oh, yeah. now, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, we just wanted to keep as much of them in as possible and not, not have a knee jerk reaction right at the moment. Yeah. And I'm glad that Kevin was like kind of the steady hand on the tiller, you know, he's just like, don't worry guys, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And it, it all builds up as well. I mean, you know, it's a, it, it's a tremendous tribute to him as, you know, as his, as his last yeah. work, uh, I think just did yeah. the snowball effect of like, cause initially I thought it was just episode two. And then mm-hmm. to have more Chadwick, to have more T'Challa was just a, a, a lovely bonus. Um, yeah. And I, I, I do want to ask as well about the Watcher and incorporating the Watcher and uh, and building him up over over the, uh, the season. I remember speaking to Jack Schaefer after WandaVision came out and mm. um, she said that partially she saw it as a show about being a showrunner. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and in a way, does, does the, is the Watcher the same thing? Because he's one step ahead of the game. He, he knows the twists and he knows the turns and... <laughs> I would say the watcher is more the audience. It's us. He's yeah. us. He's okay. all yeah. the Marvel fans. He's yeah. the ones who came into the game late, who only know the came into the Marvel through the movies. He's the ones who grew up reading what if comics. He's this presence that the more he spends time with these heroes, with these stories, with these worlds, he falls more and more in love to the point that he wants to go and save them he wants to interfere he wants to connect with them mm-hmm. because that's what it's i mean what the tagline of the mcu is it's all connected but it's also all about connection it's all about the way we work with each other we live with each other mm-hmm. the bonds you make let's be honest none of these movies would be nearly half as good if it wasn't for the characters if he didn't care for them mm-hmm. there wasn't the humor and the heart and the relationships yeah yeah. No, and and I love that too because I think in the past, the Watcher has been handled as just this omnipotent thing that is like distant and removed. And I don't think any of us were really fully into that idea. We've seen that. We've been there, done that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. The notion that he has a personality, <laughs> he might actually have an opinion, um, and that he loves the stories is so great. The fact that he is us and being able to hold a mirror up to that and, and nerd out. I think even some fans on, online at times when they're watching the show, they, they, they point that out as well, you know, um, and, and feel, especially those later episodes when, when he reacts to certain things that he didn't see coming and wants to get involved, yeah. seeing, seeing some of the chats that spawn from that and, and having people go, he's, uh, you know, he's reacting like us. He is us, you know, Mm-hmm. That that's hilarious because people are vibing it the same way that we intended it to be. Absolutely, I, I love the uh, there's there's two holy shit moments for for him whenever um, <laughs> whenever strange supreme senses his presence and then whenever Ultron obviously senses his presence and then yeah goes about ruining his day in a very very interesting yeah. way. Um, can you talk yeah. about those two moments where 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 that idea came from that the you know he's a being that's almost outside reality but he can be detected, he can be influenced, he can be a participant. Well, before the um, aforementioned Tony Stark episode got pushed to season two, um, Doctor Strange was episode five. That was our midpoint. Mm-hmm. So we love the idea that in that episode is when someone finally senses the Watcher, that we kind of get this moment of connection, that the Watcher joins our stories as more than a narrator for the first time. Um, 
because in the comic books he does and usually when the watcher makes himself known is on these universe ending events in this (laughs) strange counted and Mm -hmm. and the idea that he'd strange supreme had now elevated himself so far from where we know the regular doctor strange that he's this he's absorbed so much power that he can kind of sense the watcher sense this being that's stronger than everything was kind of a nice moment and a a nice um way of signaling that he's changed so much Mm -hmm. and it was kind of just like it there was a panel in one of the original what ifs and i can't i think it might have been you know, like Hank Pym or Reed Richards who's in the panel, but it was this giant watcher, like this 50 foot tall watcher next to this small person. And it was just this great stark image. And I was like, I want, we want to show that we want to see yeah, totally. of that. And it kind of fell together with Dr. Strange. Cause that whole episode is basically, it's a tragedy because he's worn over and over. He's worn by Wong. He's worn by uh, the ancient one by himself, by, um, obeying slash cagliostro and he just fails to listen yeah and then Mm -hmm. even the watcher is standing there going we sent you everything the universe gave you every chance and you just kept saying no so why should i say yes yeah and then having that occur in episode five then when we're breaking the story and figuring out stuff for you know the ultron episode you know, the fact that he can take out his whole universe and things get so quiet and he's re- starting to reach that cosmic awareness and stuff that he can, the notion of like the, that he's narrating and that the vision, vision Ultron is like, what, who, who is that? It just came and it's like, oh yeah, we got, this is how you have to do it. Like he's just narrating and he's just like, who the hell is talking? You know, it's like, what the hell is this? You know? Well, the fun of that moment was we were talking about like, what would take, what would it take for the watcher to break his oath? And um, he doesn't actually break his oath in that episode. He's forced into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Ultron comes after him. <laughs> yeah. And so his breaking his oath is really in episode nine, because that was kind of a nice moment of like, he doesn't actually have to make the choice. The choice comes to him. Mm-hmm. And that's such a shock because you're waiting for him to choose to interfere. It's like, no, no, no. The fight's coming. Like the punch is landing on his face. Like he's not getting a say in this. Yeah, And that was very much a very freeing decision and then a very, very amazing moment to get the show. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting as well how big things get in those final two uh, mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, if this were a live action movie, I think it would probably bankrupt Disney. Uh, yeah, the show <laughs> would bankrupt Disney. We're going from like 1940s like Nazi castles to outer space nightclubs in the course of two episodes. This show could, I wish it I wish it could have been live action, but there would be no way. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 interesting just how how much you guys went for it, and you know, and just the, the depicting the way that the the multiverse is is shown in the in the episodes, the way that it, it's almost you know mirrors smashing into each other, which is a really interesting uh, visual motif. Where did, where did that idea come from, and and the idea also to just embrace the scale allowed by animation. The, the, like the mirrors and his observatorial plane. I think some of that stuff we were just toying with early, just, just in the nature of like the multiverse and if things are a fraction different and some things down the line can be way different. Just the notion of like reflections and, you know, multiple versions of the similar same thing. You start thinking of the facets on a diamond, you know what I mean? Like 
you know, kaleidoscopes, multiple images, all that type of business. I think so. That's just been in the lexicon, I think, just, yeah. you know, visually and stylistically and philosophically. So with our team and everyone else, we just kept chasing that notion because it just kept coming back up. We're like, yeah, this is something that we should be doing. So that notion of like, you know, glass and a prism and all of that. So we were just tying, trying to tie that even way even early on. Some of our earliest visuals. Mm-hmm. We were playing with that, especially because we started even so we had to start thinking about an opening title way before all the episodes were even done. It's like, we got to start working on this stuff. And like, what's it going to be? It's just like, I don't know, maybe this. And we start drawing some stuff up mm-hmm. and playing. But at some point, relatively early on, we just knew we had to, that would be a motif, both in visual and then aspects of the sound design and in the score. And then throughout the course of producing the material, um, you find opportunities to 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 go in there and 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 reconfirm that, you know, and and continue to chase that. And then when Paul Lassane, our awesome production designer, and the team started really riffing on on the observatorial plane, you know, we looked at a variety of things that were inspirational, and then we we basically finally landed on on what we what we had. And once we showed it to, you know, Kevin and Brad and everybody, they're like, Oh yeah, <laughs> they're, they're into it. So it just, it just lend itself um, very nicely. That, that was, that was one was like, Oh, it should be something in this vein. And just kept the concept kept reproving itself to be correct. The further down we went, you know, which is fun. I wanted to ask a couple of broader questions before getting into some specific moments. AC's cat is making cameo appearances. Is, is, is Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. I love it. What's your cat's name? Um, he's actually named after the Red Guardian. That's Alexi because he's a Russian blue. <laughs> right now, he's freaking me f out because I won't let him in the backyard. <laughs> oh, bless him, bless him. Um, I, I wanted to ask about tone as well because, um, again, you guys go there with a lot of these episodes. A lot of these episodes are very dark, very, very bleak. Even something that is on the surface really fun like the zombies episode ends with that rug pull of of course of course thanos would still be doing whatever he's doing in infinity war so yeah of course it would would end with him um a lot of them end with everybody dying uh was that something that you guys wanted to embrace right from the off we we did go darker tone wise that was one of the things that enticed me to do the show Mm -hmm. um i'd already kind of said goodbye to animation, but this was too good of an opportunity because we could play with every genre Mm -hmm. and play with all these characters. So that's also why we didn't have a writer's room. I was like, I kind of want to get my fingers in every single episode as much as I can. So we brought on the other writer is Matthew Chauncey, who's a very good friend of mine, incredibly talented writer. It's our third show together. Mm -hmm. And we were both like, it basically became a contest of like, which toys we can each play with and stealing (laughs) and like, what Mm -hmm. genres we want to do like he knows how to write a great heist episode um he's written other episodes like that before and i love them so he's like i'm doing t'challa i'm taking (laughs) t'challa and i was like and i believe it or not was like iron man is mine he's like i know i know if i try and take iron man off you you will you will throw him up (laughs) i'm gonna kill that guy in a bunch of really interesting ways just you wait (laughs) and so we kind of like that was the fun of it was like kind of being able to explore different genres, different tones. Now, when it came to the twist endings, that was pulled directly from the comics. Uh, what if was notorious for kind of sh- in a way almost proving that the main timeline was the best timeline because everything always ended in disaster. And we wanted to kind of always go to places where the movies would never go, which means killing all the Avengers, mm-hmm. zombie Thanos. Um, 
I hope it wasn't too much for the audience. We didn't mean to like, you know, gut punch everyone in the last 30 seconds constantly. We also <laughs> knew we would probably see a lot of these worlds again in episode at nine. Yeah. But it came from this place of one, wanting to do right by the comics and two, just wanting to go to places that we just knew you'll never see in Avengers 5. Yeah. And also like, in animation, you don't often see. Now we're going to see lots of stuff where animation gets way more, you know, like adult or even TV fourteen. You know, it's it's not just for like kids. You know, um, and throughout my career, it's always been studios just thinking that everything stops at age seven or age ten, and not allowing anything to be animated that's beyond that, unless it was like hardcore, crazy, violent, whatever. And then that just goes the other end of dumb because it's now they're just glorifying a bunch of stuff because they can. And, and maybe the stories aren't that great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ever since college, me and everyone I went to school with, you know, we always, we wanted more out of animation. It's taken us, taken all of us a long time to get to a place where we can have influence and try to make things a little push it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah this was a perfect opportunity to do so. It's like, we can have things that go darker than the movies. We can have things that go a little bit more comedy than the movies. You know I mean? Here, here, here is the grab bag, you know, it's like the baseline is the Marvel movies. And then we can go in different directions from that, from that action adventure baseline, you know, that TV 14 baseline. And, we mean and that Scott, was Scott Lang's head in a jar. <laughs> yeah. That's in the original yeah. zombie comics. We had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's all that stuff for sure. And we get, and it was so much fun being able to do so finally and having re audiences respond positively to it. Like, like, Oh my God, that was rough. I'm in tears. Bring me more. You know what I mean? People want to, people want to give a shit in, 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 a, in a much greater way than the normal over, over, over an, in animation. And it feels like we were finally doing that and giving that to people. And that was great. Amazing. Um, so we've got the five minute warning. So I want I just wanted to run through some of my favorite moments or some of the key moments. <laughs> this cat is, <laughs> is running the amok. Like <laughs> Cats thinking, what if I, I, I know I, <laughs> the, the, the life of a Hollywood screenwriter. I'm like, I'm like family um, back in Glasgow thinks I live in the hills and like party all the time. I'm like, no, I live in the suburbs and, <laughs> and deal with yeah. a burned cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to talk through some of the uh, some of my favorite moments from from the show and just you know kind of get a, a, a sense of your, your intentions behind it. I wanted to talk about Ultron and mm. almost in a way, <laughs> I've, I've noticed over the last couple of years that Age of Ultron's reputations being rehabilitated. I love that movie, but this also felt like it was a desire to rehabilitate Ultron as a bad guy who could seriously cause damage. In the, in, in the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? And also my favorite moment from the entire show, which is him killing Thanos in a split second. <laughs> well, I think we love Ultron. Like, I mean, he was a, a villain that didn't always get his proper time because Age of Ultron, he's created, he wreaks havoc and he's destroyed all inside two hours, which is a lot to do considering how long of a buildup Thanos had. And yeah. then two movies. Um, <laughs> to wreak havoc so we kind of wanted to play more ultron and then we realized because we're now in phase four he could have the infinity gauntlet and having ultron with the infinity gauntlet automatically supercharges everything mm -hmm. and it would that would felt like that could be a multi-universal threat 
Yeah. And to get like, you know, the watcher involved having, you know, if Ultron got the stones, now he can possibly challenge the whole of the multiverse. You know what I mean? Like it becomes greater than just one universe living or dying, which happens all the time. He can now maybe go beyond that. And so the watcher has to, oh, dang, that's like more than I bargained for. You know, it, it just ups it, you know, which is fantastic. And shout out to Ross Marquand for like, you know, giving us a great ass freaking version of that character. Um, Ross is such a good guy. Speaking yeah, he's of, great. He helped me find my cat once. <laughs> well, my asshole cat ran off and he was over here with um, Allison brian and like a couple of other people yeah. during the pandemic i have a big backyard so we're all like scattered around drinking and it ended up becoming a, a party to go as we went on the hunt for this we found him he's fine <laughs> the red skull did he help find your cat using the voice of matthew mcconaughey which is my favorite ross marquand impression <laughs> that's no, amazing that would have been cool i don't know if alexi would have been that impressed <laughs> I mean, if you could do a good impression of a, a possum would be great <laughs> to come after him in two seconds so we've got, we've got like two minutes left, so I'm going to speed round the hell out of this. Um, okay. I, I wanted to talk about episode three, uh, which is you turn the, the events of Fury's big week on, on its head and wipe out the Avengers, including Tony Stark again, well, for the yeah, first time, yeah. but you know what I mean. And, uh, yeah. and Hank, reveal Hank Pym is the bad guy, which I thought was really, really interesting. Can you talk about that? Well, I think credit has to go to Brad Winderbaum for the Hank Pym reveal. We didn't know what that episode would look like at first. If, I think in the original 30 ideas, it was like Fury's big week where everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it came to actually looking at the episode and how to structure it, realized that just to tell an interesting story about Fury would be to like kind of, he's a man of such strong convictions. So it'd be interesting to see them all tested to give him that like dark journey of the soul, the reconfirmation of faith. For me, everything was about that diner scene. So we brought Brett into the room. We're like, hey, we want to do something darker, make it more of a murder mystery. And his first reaction was Hank Pym did it. <laughs> we're like, what? He's like, the only person who hates S.H.I.E.L.D. enough to do this is Hank Pym. Right. It's already set up in the universe. It's, we see it in Ant-Man. Find a way to make it Hank Pym. Which is awesome because that also Hank Pym is the, probably the only person <laughs> that could pull off what he pulled off. Um, and, and made him a perfect and how we handle it to, 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 to not show who it is and keep it secret for as long as possible, um, is great. So I, I think it turned out to be quite a surprise. People are like, Oh, of course, you know, it's awesome. So. <laughs> and Hank, of course, is partially responsible for the zombie epidemic as well. So <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, in Hank the is pretty badass. In the comic book, Hank Pym is a bit of an, he's a bit like that anyway. Yeah, exactly. Which people, I think, some fans have appreciated because they're like, finally, we're seeing Hank Pym. That's kind of a, kind of a, A-hole. you know, putz. You know, he's so he's such a dick. I've got to wrap up. I just want to ask really, really quickly about the, the. I, I love post-apocalyptic scenarios, and I loved the Clint Nat uh, situation at the beginning of uh, of uh, episode eight, and what that. It ends ultimately, obviously, with the reversal of the sacrifice situation, the sacrifice play from from Endgame. Was that something that you you wanted to do, wanted to do to to keep this version of that on the board and and give Clint his big sacrifice moment? Well, when it came to Episode Eight, with it being so huge and like literally multiverse shattering, 
we wanted to ground it in a very human story. And so focusing on the two Avengers who were the most human felt like a natural choice. And then me and Matt had seen Endgame early together. And we came out of it like, those are two of our favorite Avengers. And just that those scenes were so beautiful and so tragic. So when we were talking about this episode, it's like, well, why don't we flip it? Wouldn't it be interesting to see Clint make the big sacrifice? And so we just wanted to show how would the two most human characters survive survive this apocalypse and also seek, they couldn't save the world, so now they're going to avenge it and what that looks like. Um, And I feel like it was a nice counterbalance to all the very cool Kirby Crackle action sequences to just do this quiet human story in the middle of it. Totally. Well, listen, on that, on that note, uh, it's, it's great because obviously there's so much debate about whether it should have been Clint or Nat in Endgame. So yeah. I feel that you know, I feel that now, you know, all the bases have been covered, uh, as you exactly. guys say over there. So, uh, but on that note, I'm going to let you go. There's, there's tons more I could, I could ask you, but I've got to let you go and uh, get on with actually making season two. Awesome. Oh, thanks so much. Sorry for all the <laughs> chaos in my house. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's been a pleasure. Uh Brian, AC and Alexi, the 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 maniac cat who's running around here somewhere. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. And that was that for AC Bradley and Brian Andrews and that is that indeed for our coverage of the first season of What If We'll be back on weekly MCU Spoiler Special Duty with Hawkeye starting from November 24th, going all the way up to December 22nd. Uh, every well, Thursday, every Thursday, I think we do those. The shows come out on Wednesday and I think then we record them and we put them out either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Don't hold me to that though, folks. And our next MCU Spoiler Special will be dedicated to Eternals and that'll be coming around mid-November. If you do want more conversation about What If, then Amon Warman, Helen O'Hara, Ben Travis and I are also chatting about the show on our regular feed in now that's what I call the very best of What If Volume 3. Oh, and do keep in peel for more Spoiler Specials coming your way here uh, as ever thank you so much for subscribing it really does mean a lot uh, next up is going to be our first no time to die spoiler special i'd probably be better get off and start editing that not get off in the james bond double entendre sense but i probably should stop recording this and then start editing that but until we meet again until that auspicious occasion until then i'm off to write an episode on spec for season two of what if in which tony stark appears and nothing remotely bad happens to him. You know what? I figure he's earned it. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.